I want to take that as my text this morning from Luke's Gospel. In fact, it's uh, unique to Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 13 through uh, 21. And if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1035. Luke's chapter 12 and beginning at verse 13. And so today we're continuing our annual stewardship series, which this year we're calling Giving with Confidence. Giving with Confidence. Indeed, not a few people, uh, for a few, not for a few people, giving or what we sometimes refer to as faithful financial stewardship is a scary thing. And so in our series, we're considering together some of the things that God has said about giving and why it makes sense for us to set aside the fear and start giving to those things that are important to God and that faithfully and with confidence. And to that end, this morning I want to talk on this subject of giving with confidence, knowing that faithful giving makes me rich with God. Knowing that faithful giving makes me rich with God. Now, truth be told, Jesus in our text doesn't directly say that faithful giving uh, makes us rich with God, but it's a clear and legitimate inference that one might easily draw as one reflects on the vivid description that Jesus makes of what it means not to be rich with God. And so Luke says in chapter, or verse 1 of this same chapter, chapter 12, he says that many thousands of people had gathered together around Jesus and they were actually trampling on one another. And this is the context for our text. We come to the 13th verse and it says that someone in this crowd, like we've just described, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher or rabbi, as it would, would have been in the Aramaic, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This might have seemed, seemed to us a sort of a strange thing, maybe in this context, uh, uh, in the crowd. Uh, and, and for him to ask Jesus uh, this question, I, indeed, why, why was he asking Jesus this question? Well, in Jesus' day, those were the sort of questions or requests that people made of their rabbis. The situation was that this, apparently this, this man was the younger of two brothers. He doesn't say brothers. He says, my brother. Uh, the older brother would have been the recipient, or, and the, as we might refer to as the executor, of the family inheritance. Uh, the law of Moses uh, entitled the older brother because he was the firstborn to a double portion of the family inheritance. And so the, the, the older brother would have gotten two-thirds and the younger one-third of the family inheritance. But apparently, if, if we're to take seriously what this man is saying, the older brother had the inheritance uh, and he wasn't giving the younger brother his due. And so the younger brother is asking Jesus to straighten that all out. Luke tells us in verse 14 that Jesus said to the man, Man, who made me or judge or arbiter over you? Which was another way of saying, find somebody else to solve this problem for you. 
which is sort of an interesting response, I think, maybe coming from Jesus. I think maybe we would have expected him to say, well, let's go talk to your brother right now and get this all straightened out. Uh, but he doesn't. Uh, it, it, it may very well be, and it seems so, that Jesus considered that this man and probably most everybody else in this crowd uh, had a much deeper problem, and which is what he discusses next. In fact, notice verse 15, and then he turned to the crowd. <laughs> and he turned to the crowd, not just to this man. Of course, this man could hear. Obviously, he was standing nearby when he asked Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. But Jesus turned to them, that is, he turned to the crowd, and he said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And then he says, and he gives a reason, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. These are the, so, this is the sort of verse that we would read by and so forth, and maybe if we were doing a Bible reading schedule, you know, to get through the Bible in a year, we'd read it and then we'd tick it off and then we'd go to work or whatever we're doing, and not really notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, beware. You ever, you know, go to somebody's place and, uh, and then you notice on, there's a sign on the dog, or it's on the dog, a sign on the, on the fence that says, beware of dog. You ever look at that and go, ah, that's no big deal. <laughs> no, that's a big deal. Beware. Take care. Be on your guard. And notice what he's, what he's warning us about. He's warning us about covetousness, not a dog that bites, but covetousness, or what we would more normally call greed. It's interesting. This was something that was pointed out in uh, Patrick Morley's book, uh, Man in the Mirror, something I hadn't really thought about before, but he said the primary philosophy that drives American society as we know it now is a thing called consumerism. And consumerism, or the philosophy of consumerism, says that the more you have, the happier you'll be. Now, who in here doesn't believe that? Don't raise your hand, because then you're going to go out and you're going to live that philosophy. Because that's the philosophy that drives America, that that's the philosophy that drives Christian people who live in America, and you don't, we don't even know it. But that's how we live and that's how we think, that the more we have, the happier we'll be. But Jesus is saying that that philosophy and greed is not your friend. It is not a blessing, it's not your friend, it's an enemy, and it's a curse. And he's saying, both to this man who's very concerned about his money, and everybody else who's shaking his head like he deserves his money, and Jesus says, let's talk about the money. Beware of the sort of thought patterns and feelings that drive you to imagine that the most important thing in your life is the money. Because Jesus says life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. 
What did Jesus own? See, this is a very interesting thing. We were talking about talking with the men about this a little bit. We would think that most people who actually lived as Jesus lived, he was a homeless man, couldn't possibly live a life that's worth, worth living <laughs> because they don't possess the things that we believe you must have <laughs> in order to be happy. And the interesting thing is, and I think that you'll probably be, be hard to disagree with me, that the more of those things you have, the more of those things you want. Scott McKee said to me one time, he said, you know, in this neighborhood, we've got different problems. This is, nobody, nobody's missing a meal in this, in this neighborhood, but somebody last weekend hung himself in his closet. And outside was a Mercedes-Benz, and the kids are off to Ivy League school, but life's not worth living be anymore because of probably something related to those things that are beyond reach or perhaps those things that he's concerned he's about to lose. And Jesus says, beware of the sort of philosophy that drives you to think those sort of things because life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. I quoted uh, Jim Carrey uh, last week the comedian and uh, actor, funny guy. I've seen him. I've, what was it? What was the last one? You know, what is it? Comedians getting coffee in cars or something? Did you guys see that? Netflix, right? Jim Carrey and Jerry Seinfeld. Whatever. Funny guy. This is what he wrote. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything he ever dreamed of so that they can see that that is not the answer. That that is not the answer. And then Luke says that uh, Jesus told the crowd a parable. He said that the land of a rich man is a rich agrarian lord of the manor. Had a, had a land and a crop that was extremely plentiful. And Jesus says that the rich man thought to himself, a little self-talk. You do that, don't you? Come on, you talk to yourself all the time. And so this guy had this, uh, what was, we would think is like, this is not a problem, or we would say, this is a good problem to have, but it was a problem. He thought to himself, what am I going to do? I, I have nowhere to store this. I didn't expect this kind of a, this kind of a result from, from the planting. And the man said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my old barns, and I'll build the larger ones. And there I'll, I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And then I'll say to my soul, I'll say to myself, soul, you have ample goods for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. Take early retirement. <laughs> but God said, you fool." That maybe was not what we were expecting. Because we got really excited when, when you heard me say, early retirement. 
who doesn't want to retire early, right? So you can do all the things you always wanted to do but couldn't do because you had to go to work. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't, or God doesn't say, oh, you know what? Well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, all that wealth that you've got now stored up in your silos and that you will meet out and sell as needed, whose will they be? And so God says, uh, as it happens, you know what? You don't have many years. Death has come. Life as you know it is over. Now, right now, unexpectedly, there's nothing you can do about it. You didn't pick your birthday, and you don't pick the day you die. Someone has written this. It's a wise thing to live every day as if it were your last because one of these days you're going to be right. And so God says to this man who had prepared so well for his retirement but hadn't given any thought to life after retirement. He says, now that death is come, who will take possession of all of these things that you saved up and made you feel so secure and so rich and so successful? Right? Whose will they be? They won't be his. I think I mentioned last week the two friends, and they had a mutual friend who died, and one asked the other friend, he said, uh, how much did he leave? And the other friend said, <laughs> he left it all. <laughs> you leave it all. First Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, First Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6, he, Paul the apostle says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. <laughs> what? Godliness with contentment? Yeah. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And he continues, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Seems a bad investment, doesn't it? To pour your whole life into something that you can't take with you and you will be snatched away and there won't be anything in your power to make it any different. This is what, and this is what Euripides says, death is a debt we all must pay. And Jesus is warning the crowd, you are on the wrong road, notwithstanding the fact that you think you're so much on the right road. Jesus, tell my brother to give me my money. And Jesus says, that's not your problem. Psalm 49, verse 16. Be not afraid of a man who becomes rich <laughs> when the glory of his house increases. Oh, right? Think of all the money you spend that you can't afford to, to spend to impress people that don't even care about you. Don't be afraid. Don't be concerned when a man becomes rich when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing 
away. Nothing. And so Jesus draws this conclusion. And so it will be for the one who lays up treasure for himself on earth, but is not rich toward God. C.S. Lewis, in his classic work, Mere Christianity, wrote this. He said, one of the dangers of having a lot of money is that we may be quite satisfied with the kind of happiness that money can give and so fail to realize our need of God. Now, I, I read that, and most of you are going, yeah, you know, if I had a lot of money. <laughs> One of the dangers of having a lot of money, oh, I guess whatever Lewis is saying doesn't apply to me. And that's the problem. Few people in America think of themselves as having a lot of money. In fact, it was Andy Stanley who said that in America, no one is rich, but everyone knows someone who is. <laughs> in America, I'm not rich because I'm not like them. But the truth is, is that most Americans are rich. In fact, by world standards, filthy rich. And so when the Bible talks about the rich man, we tend to read that and go, oh, that, this applies to someone else. When you read rich man in the Bible, it applies to you. As I said in a workshop recently at the clergy conference, and the text was from the 16th chapter, of Luke, where there's another story of Lazarus and the rich man. And as the different clergy were making comments and we were discussing it, I said, and there was a great deal of silence afterward, I said, I am the rich man. Rob Bell and Don Golden in their book, Jesus Wants to Save Christians. I love that title. I know, I think maybe I love it because I know there's some Christians who would read that title and would be so offended. <laughs> but we do need to be saved. Because turning up at the church doesn't mean you're a part, a citizen of the kingdom of God. But this is what they wrote in their book. Nearly one billion people in the world live on less than one dollar a day. Nearly one billion. That's a thousand million. <laughs> That's more than three times the population of the United States. Nearly one billion people in the world live on less than one dollar a day. Another two and a half billion people in the world live on less than two dollars a day. And so more than half of the world's population lives on less than two American dollars a day, while the average American teenager spends nearly $150 a week. More than 90% of the world's population, I think it's 94%, more than 90% of the world's population do not own a car. 
while one-third of American families own three. America spends more annually on trash bags than nearly half of the world spends on all goods combined. Human history has never witnessed the abundance that we as Americans consider normal. America is the wealthiest nation in the history of humanity. We have more resources than any group of people anywhere at any time has ever had ever. And still, few of us consider ourselves rich. And so when uh, God says to most of us, uh, will you honor me with the tithe? We say, are you kidding? No way! Because the more you have, the happier you'll be. And I'll give you what I don't need necessarily. But don't start pinching in on what I need in order to know happiness. Don't be asking me for a dollar out of ten. I got three car payments to make. But that's how we honor God with our finances. And that's how we become rich with God. Indeed, what did Jacob do? We read it last week. In Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 20, this is what Jacob, Jacob said. The writer to Genesis says, And then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, <laughs> is God with you? If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I'm going, and if he will give me bread to eat, and clothing to wear. <laughs> Has he given you clothing to wear? How long did it take you to figure out which clothing you were going to wear this morning? People living in the two-thirds world don't have that problem. They put on the clothes they have. <laughs> they don't have clothing drives. Well, we take perfectly good clothing out of our closets and give them to other people. If you will be with me and if you will keep me in this way that I go and if you will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, then the Lord will be my God. <laughs> and of all that you give me, Lord, I will give a full tenth <laughs> to you. Ever wonder where we came up with the tenth? There it is right there. If you will go with me, if you will be with me, if you will give me food to eat and clothing to wear, you will be my God and I will honor you with a tenth of all that I have. I wonder, have you made that vow? So, I mean, you know, so difficult. The one that Jacob made. And if not, when? Maybe you've been meaning to do it. Perhaps you're still waiting for another day. Another day, as Jesus says, that you may have or may not have. Giving with confidence, knowing that faithful giving makes me rich with God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, the government takes a whole lot more than 10% the last time I checked. 
You, you even ask less than that as a starting place. But the extraordinary thing, and only those who practice it know it, is that we can't seem to beat you giving. Not only do you give us satisfaction in having less, which might seem to us an extraordinary oxymoron, but you provide for us things that sometimes we might have thought we never would even have, and, and yet we do. Lord, I've never met anybody who is a com committed to, to honoring you with their finances who ever complained about their finances. It's always someone else who's not honoring you that's always got trouble. As David said, and as we read his words in the psalm this morning, once I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen God's righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. This is, this is an opportunity, not a thing we have to do, but a thing that we get to do. And when we do it, it makes us rich with you. If any of us haven't made that commitment with confidence, even if, because it's the first time, it might take some courage. Lord, move our hearts, not just to think about it, but to take action and then know all the blessings that follow out thereafter. It was Jesus, the Son, who said, who it is blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. And he knew, not, knew that not just because it was a principle, but because he lived it, <laughs> and he was blessed. And so help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.